Welcome to A Drink with a Friend. I'm Seth Haynes. And I'm Tish Oxenreiter. So, Tish, tell yeah. me, what is it that you are drinking today? It has been raining incessantly today and all weekend, and it's going to rain all week this upcoming week. So I am pretending like I live back in Oregon and I'm drinking tea uh, that I usually drink in the fall. It's that foxy tea I think I drank mm. yeah, a few months ago. It's I, I call it foxy tea because there's a fox on the box. I think it's... Yeah harvest something something it's their fall tea that only comes out in the fall and i buy like 12 mm-hmm. boxes and um because i'm weird like that so my caffeine free foxy tea that's what i'm drinking so do you uh drink uh tea with a fox from a box in your socks i knew you were gonna say something yeah, about that because I, I wanted I to i wanted to glide over the oh no i just accidentally rhymed yeah you <laughs> definitely soosed yourself i did i soosed mm-hmm. anyway yeah just me and tea. Shoot. <laughs> you just you just keep doing it. Would you like to keep it uh, rolling? Yeah. Let's do this uh, whole episode in rhyme. I'm done. That I would, can't do anymore. That's I think we're out of time. If, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We're done. Yeah, every, everybody stop it. I mean it. Anyone want a peanut? Yeah. Okay. We're done. What are you drinking? <laughs> I actually found found um you know this last pot i hate keurigs you know this we've talked about i hate this. them too yep and i think they're um completely uh unsacramental you know we talk about sacramental things like yep um and i think this is like the 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 most desacralized uh expression of coffee in the world yeah. however however um i do not hate uh starbucks holiday blend Okay. So I, the two most desacral things to me, desacralized <laughs> things to me, are both Starbucks uh-huh. and Keurig. And when you put those things together, it's like, I mean, you might as well buy Lil Nas X's shoes. You know what I'm saying? You're but right. Instead, um, the, the thing that kind of redeems it is on occasion when you find the holiday blend. And I found a pod of holiday blend in the office. I didn't even know we had any. And so I brewed it and I'm drinking it. And you know what? It's not awful. There you go. Way to redeem something that could be terrible, that typically is terrible. And that's kind of a sacramental act, right? Redeeming. Yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> I think that's true. Redeeming the time, redeeming yep. the Keurig, exactly. uh, redeeming the Starbucks. But I will say that, you know, you know, if, if I had, if I knew, like if I had another option and they were like, here, taste this, I would think, oh, this is awful. I sure. Just, but because of what it is, I think, oh, this isn't so bad. You know what? I think there's some real truth to that. The idea of limiting our choices on purpose mm-hmm. um, breeds contentment. So you're yeah. content with that. And that's I'm what matters. Content. I'm more yeah. content. It's not a, you know, poppy beverage. <laughs> right. Right. There you go. All right. Well, tell me what's on your mind. I know we were just chatting about the rabbit holes that Twitter brings us down and how we typically regret them. So what was your latest regret and how can we redeem it? Speaking of redemption. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) I really regret about 96% of Twitter. Mm -hmm. Um, 4% of the time, it's it's kind of fun. Right. Um, But 96% of the time, it is just a conflagration Mm -hmm. of uh, leftover opinions of the day. Right. And this morning, 
why did I even do this? I don't even know. I never log on to Twitter in the morning because I always like to start my day off, you know, well. Right. And that doesn't always ever really do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did. I logged on and I saw an article and, um, you know, I'm going to keep it kind of general because it wouldn't matter what sort of like space it's in. It just, it really wouldn't matter. But it, a large institution had a leader said large institutions leader is under other leadership, right? So this could be a COO. It could be uh, a politician. It could be uh, a religious figure. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and this person was actually fired, fired. And the reason the person was fired was because said person had all these opinions on anti-masking and vaccine mm-hmm. and closing the doors of said institution, you know, during the COVID pandemic and so forth and such as and on and on and on we go. Mm-hmm. And said individual refuses to step down. <laughs> <laughs> so so it was like told, you got it, you're done, you're out, get out, get out the door. And mm-hmm. they didn't get out, wouldn't get out. And in fact said, no, you need to get out because blah blah blah, opinion, opinion, opinion. And so um, that that alone was enough to make me think like, oh, that's interesting. But then the comments, holy crap, man. You would have thought that we were fighting World War II in the mm. comments. Like you would have mm-hmm. thought that one side were the Nazis and the other side you know, were the Nazis um, because that's how the two sides were treating each other. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it, it's one of those things that, you know, we've talked about social media ad nauseum before, but when we were talking about the show for today, I said, you know, if we were sitting in a coffee shop, this is the very thing I would want to talk about. And particularly, this is the thing I would want to talk about because we both jumped into the Catholic Church in the last year. Yeah. Um, and I knew this before I became Catholic, but when I entered, I realized, oh man, this is a really divided family. It is a really opinionated family. You know, it's it's a lot like going to Thanksgiving dinner um, with the, you know, in-laws from the uh, other side of the aisle or whatever. Like it feels yeah. a lot the same way. And, um, and, and I have this notion that we've actually kind of forgotten um, that a lot of our opinions come from deep fear, deep insecurity and deep pain. And instead of asking like, hey, what's the fear underlying that opinion or what's the insecurity or what's the rationale behind it? Um, instead, we just now, these days, we just take out our broadswords and start, you know, hacking each other's heads off. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more publicly, the better. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so I just, I've been thinking about that a lot and thinking, you know, we kind of agree on most stuff, I yeah. think. For the most part, probably. Um, but but what would it look like, or what could it look like? What should it look like to begin to have drinks with friends mm-hmm. that don't think like us, talk like us, sound like us, um, and to to really try to understand each other and reach some common ground instead of always hacking at each other? You know what I mean? Uh huh. I do. It comes to mind. There's this G.K. Chesterton quote about arguing versus quarreling. Do you know what I'm talking about? I might look it up really fast. Yeah. Okay. Because he gets into this idea, a good argument 
actually makes better friendships. Arguing but never quarreling. Let me see. I'm pulling it up. Um, so G.K. Chesterton was referring to his brother Cecil. And he's about five years younger than him. And he said after a brief pause, meaning like when he was a baby, they began to argue. And he continued to argue to the end. And it says, I'm glad to think that through all those years, we never stopped arguing. And because of that, we never once quarreled. Mm. Um, so then he he gets into this idea of people generally quarrel because they cannot argue. And so it's like we've learned or we've lost the craft of arguing. And I mean, even me saying this out loud, argue sounds like a bad thing. Like it sounds like something I want to avoid at all costs. And I wonder if there's something about this like running and hiding from any form of argument that's caused us to be so vitriolic because we don't like to argue. And instead, we just go and find our like-minded tribes. And that causes this us versus them mentality because then we broad brush the other side and we become people that have turned the other side into monsters, really. And we've lost the ability to to have nuance. And here's the other thing, because it's on social media, largely social media actually benefits from quarreling. You know, it doesn't work according to its native, you know, capabilities and how it's coded. It doesn't work if we're not mad at each other. And so therefore it's not going to appreciate nuance and it's really going to lean into that. It's going to push that, you know, it's going to pour lemon juice into the paper cut. Um, So it's even worse online. I mean, if you think about how if you've ever had this time, whenever you see somebody online, you're like, oh, gosh, I don't think I'd want to, you know, be in a meet them in a dark alley. But then you meet them in person. You're like, wow, they are considerably more pleasant in person. Um, Yeah, that's probably a reason why. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, even even thinking through um, the dichotomy between arguing and and quarreling, and even thinking through why does social media work well when we are quarreling instead of when we are arguing? Like, what what is it that drives that engagement? I you know you know this. I I do a lot of work in storytelling world. Um, I do some of that work um, in books. I do some of that work with branding. And and I was talking with somebody last week about just the story of their company. And uh, we were talking about the power of fear in in moving a product and how the reptilian brain actually like responds to fear. This is something I learned very early on in the practice of law. It's something that's used a lot by attorneys on the plaintiff's bar. They try to, you know create fear and move a jury to, to make a decision based in fear. And we all know that that works. Fear, anger, a jealousy, these things move, move, move. Uh, you know, they, they move product, they move ideas, they move copy. Mm-hmm. Why is it? Because it's just, it's impulsive. It, it, it brings you to your first impulse, you yep. know? Um, and that's a, Beautiful thing Uh, to some degree, like if you're out in the woods and you see a terrible, you know, like paw print there of a bear that, you know, you've come across before a saber tooth tiger. If you're a, you know, an old school caveman, (laughs) Um, you know, it's a good thing that your brain has that reptilian instinct of, oh, crap, I'm afraid I need to, you know, either stand up and fight or get out of here. Right. Um, But they they know that on social media. And so they, they stoke those fires. Why? Because, well, it pulls more eyeballs in, it drives more advertising. Um, it goes straight to that like sort of reptilian mindset 
um, it, and hooks us. It connects us. It, it makes us into, you know, pulls us into the network. I think my ultimate fear, though, is that, you know, not whether or not it's not the argument about whether or not social media is good or bad. I mean, I think we both have our own, you know, mm-hmm. ideas about that. But it's that somehow we have dehumanized, you know, each other enough on social media that it is spilling over into the real world. Yeah. Um, you know, it's re- it used to be at one time really hard to yell at somebody and say, you are, you know, insert phrase. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I saw today a news story about some protesters standing outside a Jewish temple uh, saying, you know, stop being Nazis to be over this, the, the Israeli-Gaza uh, conflict, saying stop being Nazis, you know, um, kind of flipping the script on them. You're perpetuating the genocide. You're, perpe-, you know, that used to be really hard to do to one another, to really mm-hmm. villainize each other to the extent that we would stand outside places of worship and scream and yell at each other. It is not that way anymore. Whatever has happened in the last 10 years has pulled us to the place where um, we have no problem going into the public forum and yelling and screaming and purveying fear and purveying conspiracy and doing it face to face in ways that we never used to do it before. Um, and I think to me, that's the thing that, that that's really trouble. Mm-hmm. It. You know, it reminds me again of another thought that I think is sometimes it's misattributed to Aristotle, but it doesn't matter because it rings true. This idea of um, it's the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it. Mm. I, I feel like we've lost the ability to do that. Like maybe whether it's social media or it doesn't even really matter maybe why, but somehow in our 2021 culture, we've lost the ability to entertain an idea without accepting it or with without um, cloaking it in this. And if this idea is true and you believe it, therefore it means all these things about you. Um, And so that's part of the us, them mindset. And I think where really maybe just rubs us raw on this conversation, particularly with the idea of sacramentality is that Jesus seemed to make a really big deal about unity and that mm-hmm. that was kind of his, you know, final word to everybody like, hey, they'll know who I am when you guys are unified. And we haven't done such a hot job of that in yeah. 2000 years, but it feels like fever pitch right now Yeah, um, among those who follow Christ. And maybe that's where it becomes so heartbreaking when we see it online, because it's, there's no difference between those who say they follow Christ and those who don't in this regard. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, listen, growing up, you know, I grew up in a conservative uh, denomination and sure, Mm -hmm. like there was plenty of name calling behind closed doors, you know, Um, the Catholics worship Mary, they were all going to hell. Right. Um, The Methodists, might as well go to the lake. Uh, the, the Presbyterians, they didn't know what was up or down ever, yeah. um, except for that they were chosen. You know, these are the things that like were told to me uh, growing up. And so there was plenty of division, you know, quietly behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was never a uh, that sort of division like internally, you know, like 
we were our own freaks. We were together. We were our own people, you know? And by the way, if there are any, um, well, I hope they're Catholics listening because I'm one, so I'm talking. So I'm at least one of them or Methodists right. or Presbyterians. These are just bad tropes. I recognize this. A hundred percent. Yeah. And you could make the same tropes about the, the nom- denomination I was in, but all that to say, like there was still this internal sense that we were for each other. And then when you went out into the world and you mm-hmm. worked with these people in other denominations, again, like you're in the same company, like you're for each other. You're yeah. wanting to make each other stronger and better and, um, and, and, and more prosperous. And, and even internally, uh, when you look at politically, like we were divided, but when our president went out into the world, he represented everyone and he was our president, even if we disagreed with him, you know, like mm-hmm. you wanted him to, to succeed because his success meant your success. And there was all of this sort of, um, you know, you, you had internal opinions that were divisive, sure. Um, but, but it wasn't so, uh, loud externally against over and against everybody. Mm-hmm. And so when you talk about the fever pitch, I think that there are some people who would say, Oh, you know, listen, you're just, you're painting this with rose colored glasses. It's always been this divided. It's always been like this, but man, if I just go back 20 years, I can at least identify pockets of unity. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now I'm having a hard time doing any of that. Yeah. No, I agree. Did, have you heard that quote from uh, uh, Ratzinger, formerly Ratzinger, now uh, Pope Benedict? He said something in the 70s, something like he predicted that the church was going to get really, really small um, over the coming decades. Hmm. And and people are, are commentating on the idea of like, wow, he is proving to be dead on right. And there's hmm. a variety of reasons for that besides just disunity. But yeah. Um, that comes to mind in some ways, this idea of, you know, I mean, it's kind of in tandem with a recent Pew Research data that was released about how, for the first time ever, it's under 50% of Americans claiming identity with a local church or a Mm. local place of worship. So that includes uh, people of all faiths that were now under 50%. And there's just something about that that makes me wonder, like, where is this going? Like, at some point. You know, I mean, we've there's been the fall of Rome. Um, there's been cultures that are officially extinct. At what point are we? I don't know. Like, where is this going? We we have seen in the New Testament that Christ says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So I don't think it's officially going to snuff out. But I don't know. I don't see us going uphill yet. It feels like we're continuing to go downhill. And that sounds like a Debbie Downer thing to say. But I'm wondering if Ratzinger is onto something here that the church is in this downward trajectory right now of getting smaller and smaller at the moment. I don't know. Do you feel that way? I do. But even that language, like we have to be really careful not to weaponize that language. Mm hmm. Um, because I've seen some conservatives say, yes, the, the reason why uh, it's getting smaller and smaller is because, um, you know, all of the liberals are falling away. And the true right. church is us conservatives who stand over here in the you know left wing of the sanctuary or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and on the other side, you have uh, 
you know, a more progressive people saying, well, yeah, the church is getting smaller because we won't make concessions on this or on that. And so people are fleeing and running away. And blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I think both sides can weaponize that language instead of treating it for what it is, which is an observation. And again, to go back, an argument. Um, it is an argument that if we don't have something that looks like spirit and life and unity, that there's nothing um, attractive about who we are. No. Yeah. Listen, I, again, I watch um, a variety of uh, YouTube and listen to a variety of podcasters and I listen to conservatives. I listen to progressives. I listen to politics. I listen to faith and religion. I listen to writing, literary, whatever you want to call it. Um, and in popular opinion, and it's all the same stuff. It's all, you know, I am right. And listen to me tell you why all of the people in my tribe are wrong and should be cast out. And listen, the church is no different. Mm -hmm. Um, If I had a buck for every, you know, uh, commenter who's not ordained, not a priest, not a bishop, not a deacon, uh, running around uh, telling me why they are right and the Pope or the Bishop is wrong, I'd be a really, really rich man, you know? Um, And that kind of division, like it, it, I, I said this to you before we got on the podcast, like, why would I want to enter into a church that's like that? Yeah. Why why would I want any part of that? Right. Uh, I I wouldn't want any part of that. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I watch Bishop Barron and I say, I want a part of that. He's talking about beauty and truth and goodness um, he's talking about the value of art, the value of the scriptures, the history and the tradition of the church, um, the struggles, the challenges, but he's doing it in a way that makes me say, oh man, that actually helps me make sense of the gospel story. Then I go and I listen to these commentators and I'm like, oh, you're just perpetuating a war. I don't mm-hmm. want any part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's undoing the good work that good evangelists, evangelism that you know, is rooted in this, this, this idea that, 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 you know, outkicks the issue of the day. Um, you know, it, it ruins that work. Um, yeah. and it's terrifying. And, and frankly, it's not much different than what's happening in our political sphere. Yeah. So in my, um, non-expert opinion, anytime you see people within a church structure, uh, whether that's the Catholic church or any other church structure uh, or religious structure, whether you're you know Jewish or, or uh, Muslim or whatever, anytime you see people within your religious sect using the weapons and the tools that are currently being used in our political sphere to amass followers or to gain, uh, you know, whatever power, money, uh, assuage ego or prop up ego, whenever you see somebody doing that, run. Yeah. You know, it reminds me a few weeks ago, I was telling Kyle, we we got to talking about something related to social media, like he was probably hearing me complain and moan about the the vile that it is. And I made some kind of comment saying, you know, this is like the biggest dust statement of all time. But I kind of think this vying for attention on social media and trying to gain followers and amass, you know, attention as a thought leader is sort of antithetical to the gospel. 
maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and then we had a good laugh about it because it seems so obvious when you say it out loud, but literally trying to gain your own followers, trying to make a name for yourself, trying to be right in a world that you says is you, that you believe is wrong mm-hmm. is kind of exactly what Jesus said not to do. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> kind of exactly. Kind of, kind of exactly. And, also, mm-hmm. and, and, and this is a, this is an argument only uh, in Catholic church. Right. But, but within the Catholic system, if you want to do that and you want to prop up your own ego, make your own arguments and tell me why all the bishops are wrong and why the Pope is wrong and why all the priests are wrong. Um, just go be Protestant, man. Yeah. Just yeah. take off. It's totally cool. I, it's not going to hurt my feelings. Um, but just go do your own thing. And, right. and, and, and I know that sounds a little bit, you know, maybe that sounds a little bit haughty, but, but again, when I look at the work of the good evangelists, um, out there in any denomination, in any structure, uh, when I look at the work of the good evangelists who are saying there is something beautiful here, there is something true here, like be drawn to the truth through the beauty. I don't want that to be undercut mm-hmm. by some cheap, divisive reptilian argument. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes my shorthand for answering the question, why did you become Catholic after a lifetime of being Protestant is because I was tired of being my own Pope. And yeah. I, I only say that in a joking way or whenever I don't have time to really unpack that because that's a loaded statement. Um and we'll probably unpack that at some point in the future on this show. But what I mean by that is there is some relief and rest in the idea of being part of something so much bigger than myself where I can humbly submit that maybe I don't know everything after yeah. 2000 years of really smart people wrestling with all this stuff. Um, and I truly don't say that to be dismissive of those who have who have decided otherwise, but that's mm-hmm. where I've landed. But it does make me think of that where I I look at my fellow brothers and sisters in the Catholic Church and I think, guys, you don't know what you have that I had been yeah. looking for my whole life. This idea of not having to decide what does X, Y, and Z mean because hey, turns out Christ left us a church. Um, let's let's be part of that church. And, and so maybe this is just the rose colored glasses of a convert, but that's what I see whenever I look at, at the Catholic church these days. And it it just makes me feel like, gosh, this is why I was tired of being Protestant. Uh, Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And there's plenty of life. I mean, that's the, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I shared a little bit last week about the older couple in our, in our local congregation and how, you know, when I'm in my eighties, I want to be like them. You know, there's, yeah. there's so much beauty and so much goodness and so much life there too. Um, you know, we have some very dear friends who my guess is uh, they're on different sides of us politically. Um, and yet, man, we still hang out. You know, we still talk about the things of faith. We still go to church together. Um, we still worship together and, and, and love it. And, and, you know, in person can even kind of sometimes poke fun at each other about it. And it's, it's okay. It doesn't have to be this, um, you know, over and against thing. And, 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 you know, um, <laughs> I was talking with the guy, um, the, the man in this uh, couple mm-hmm. about a year and a half ago, maybe two years. 
was it was before we had really decided to to enter the church. And one of the things that he said, again, different political ideology and, and affiliation maybe than I have and different views on some things. And he said, don't let this kind of squabbling um, run you away. And he said, I'll let you know, like, man, even when I watch some of this stuff, I feel like when I'm finished, I need to go take a shower. <laughs> and he's like, it's just gross. It's slimy. And 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 don't let that run you away from the good work um, that the church is doing. And I thought that was a really wise statement from somebody who is recognizing um, that there is good work. And there is work that like he might politically more agree with, but he's recognizing that that division and that vitriol is actually um, doing something that's the opposite mm-hmm. of good evangelism. It's actually... Uh, drawing lines and and going over and against and creating more division in the church, which again, to go back to John 17, as you said, like it's pretty clear uh, the last call of Christ, which was to have unity. And, and so I guess, you know, today we're a day away from Pentecost, right? And um, that's the thing that I keep thinking about is like the, 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 if, if we believe and this idea of the Pentecost, that the, that the Spirit of God has come with and for and into us and around us, exists around us, and wants to unify us together, then there ought to be no place for that kind of awful division, certainly within the church, and probably not in the political sphere. And you know what? I've probably been guilty of that. Mm-hmm. Well, and that was going to be my next question. Like, where's the hope then? Like, you know, for for people listening, I'm guessing they have a vested interest like we do in finding the sacramental, finding what's really there beneath all things. And we we're searching for beauty here. Where's the beauty then? If Ratzinger is right that we're continuing to go downhill, um, what's up? You know, like, where do we go up? What What's the next step for those of us who genuinely care about this? What do you think? I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with more conversations. We just have to have more conversations. I think mm-hmm. opening ourselves up to, again, the pain of the other and, and more conversations. Now, this is not to say that you don't ever have an outspoken opinion against things that are evil. It's not yeah. to say that at all, right? So like, if one of the divisive opinions is racist, you call that out. You don't, mm-hmm. I mean, again, if you go back to the life of Jesus, I mean, there were certainly times when he very clearly called unjust things out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm not saying that you never, you know, you always just try to understand the person on the other side with the racist opinion. No, you don't have to do that. That's not what I'm saying at all. Right. But what I am saying is that maybe a lot of what we need to do is have harder conversations. So again, in this sort of like, to use a tropey example of the day and this sort of vaccine, uh, you know, anti-vaxxing milieu, maybe instead of castigating those who've made the other decision uh, that you have, maybe you sit down and say, Hey, tell me about that. Why did you make this decision? You know, mm-hmm. or uh, masking, anti-max masking. Like why, why do you make the decision to be not vaxxed and to not wear a mask? Like, let me understand what is going on in your head, you know, and yeah. have that conversation in a way that's, that's very even keeled and and maybe even argumentative, but not quarreling, as you said, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and maybe again, maybe it's, you know, and again, you're, why are you arguing? You're arguing to try to refine um, and get people 
refine your ideas and get people to the right place in their ideas too. Like we, we can all admit that we might be wrong and you, you're trying to get to the truth, trying to get to the, to the center place. Um, that's a big part of it. And then I think too, the sitting down and saying like, Hey, do you realize that when you say X, Y, or Z, that might sound racist? Um, or hearing, hey, you realize that when you say X, Y, or Z, referring to yourself, that might sound elitist, or that might sound, you know, a little too progressive for my taste, or it may sound like it's undercutting the scriptures, or it may sound whatever. And like not taking that in as offense, but as an opportunity to refine your thinking and to ask yourselves, like, is that true? Mm-hmm. Is there a kernel of truth there that I need to consider? Because again, if we're trying to pursue something that's truer, um, we always have to be open to refining ourselves to truth yeah. presented. So I just think dialogue, conversation, and being open to being wrong. I think to me, those are the big ones, mm-hmm. but I'm sure you have your own <laughs> thoughts. Well, I think you're spot on. The only other thing I would add is the truth of what you just said about consider that you might be wrong. Remember your boundaries, you know, remember where you end and someone else begins, aka you as a human being cannot change someone else, but you can change yourself. And to consider perhaps the focus on changing other people maybe needs to be repositioned to um, turning inward and looking at maybe what you need to continue to learn. And I mean that for every single one of us, you know, so if you find yourself really and truly only listening to one political side of the news, maybe open yourself up to listening to a podcast that's skews the other direction. Or if you find yourself feeling, you know, your blood boil about a particular topic that you just don't understand how anyone could see anything otherwise, be it religion or something else, consider opening yourself up to the other side and and not straw manning that, actually steel manning that. Look for the best argument on the other side yeah. so that you could possibly learn. And then I would say, along with the idea of knowing your boundaries, um, consider what it looks like to take care of yourself. And I don't mean that in a self-care woo-woo take a bubble bath away. I mean that in it, like, are you getting enough beauty in your life? Like we we talk about the sacramentality of beauty as something to just uncover, but sometimes we have to really seek it out and it can lead us in despair when we don't see anything but ugly around us. So if you find yourself just continually angry, maybe you need to do things like go outside or seek out good music or art. And I don't say that that these things aren't shallow and these Mm. things aren't extra. They are necessary. Um, And they make us better people, better humans, more who we're made to be. And so maybe, maybe we need a little bit more. I mean, this sounds so trite to say we need more flowers in the world. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't mean it in a trite way. I mean it sincerely. We need more beauty in our, in our lives. I agree. I think we 100% need more flowers. (laughs) We also need more uh, words, more literature and, and when I say literature, I don't mean Christian living books right? exclusively, oh. you know, Please I mean Lord, no. <laughs> right. I mean like actual good literature. We need actual good art, uh, mm-hmm. actual good music. And, and maybe even sometimes art and music and literature that, that doesn't 1000% go down the line with what we agree with. Cause again, opening yourself up to something 
um, because it's beautiful, at least allows you to appreciate, yeah, like God created us to create beauty. I can Mm -hmm. disagree with it. It can still be beautiful. Um, And you know what? I would add. And I would add to that, perhaps something, if you're not uh, drawn to classics, perhaps looking at something slightly older, um, if anything, it helps you remember that there's nothing new under the sun. You know, I know I need that sometimes, especially now when I just think, gosh, how can things get any worse <laughs> that it, it might be good to, and I don't mean like ancient, you know, I'm not talking about Plato. I'm talking about maybe something from a hundred years ago, Look, read C.S. Lewis and screw tape letters. And, you know, that that'll remind you of sort of the fallen nature of man. And that yeah. <laughs> this has been going on for a long time, stuff like that. Like, don't just listen to whoever's the newest and flashiest and latest and greatest. You know, there's yeah. a lot of smart dead people. Yeah, there are a lot of smart dead people. Yeah. I prefer smart dead people. I kind of do, too. <laughs> that, yeah, that sounds they're great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would enjoy their company these days. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. So, Tish, speaking of all of this, um, you're speaking about beauty, the impact of beauty in your own life. So tell me, what is bringing a little bit of truth, beauty, or goodness to your life right now? Well, it's pretty much the opposite of a dead person because this person's really young. Um, So, see, I'm not just ageist. I'm not only about the C.S. Lewis and the Plato's. There is a kid, more or less, and I say kid because I'm 43. Three, am I? And he's probably at most in his mid 20s, probably even younger than that. Um, his name is Nathaniel Drew. He's on YouTube. Have you ever seen him? Don't yeah, know. me neither. I, I ran into his channel, I don't know, less than a week ago. And I have been so drawn to the beauty of both what he talks about, his cinematography, his ability to tell a really good story. That kind of stuff to me matters so much these days when there's just so much garbage on the internet to really appreciate some wholesome beauty is maybe an easy way to say it. So this kid just is so great at creating video content about stuff that really matters about, I mean, you could call it personal development, but I don't think it's about that. Like where he really shines is on the subject of language learning. I think he has learned five or six languages by now. And he talks about how he does it in a way that makes a lot of sense. Um, to just the everyday person. He travels a lot. So he just shows really good footage of different places. And in particular, I'll I'll make sure we have this in the show notes. There's a video of his, of um, when he's talking to his grandma and his grandma speaks six or seven languages. And it's this conversation where they are flowing in and out of all their different languages with subtitles. So you can understand. And they're just talking about how language learning has affected the way they view the world. And it's really gotten me thinking about the beauty of language learning and how I used to be really into it, like super duper into it. And then kids and life and work and stuff. And I kind of want to dust that off that, that idea a little bit and learn another language for the sake of learning it. Like not because I need to get a good grade on anything, but because it, it makes me a better human. So his channel yeah, his channel has inspired me to to think about doing that. So I did write about it this week in my Substack. So if you are subscribed to the Commonplace, you saw that. Um, and yeah, I, I'm looking forward to kind of digging into that idea a little bit more this summer. So yeah, that's awesome. It is. It is. So how about you? What's adding more beauty to your life these days? Well, mine is um, from a dead person, although recently deceased. 
Um, and it's real sad. This I just made this whole podcast get really sad. But no. um, I am reading Anthony Bourdain's World Travel. Yeah, I saw you were. Yeah, like the, the an irreverent guide is the the subtitle. Hmm. Um, and boy, is he irreverent. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it and it it's it's interesting because you know whenever you say a beauty, I mean, like we, I'm sure that. Bourdain and I would share very little in the world, uh, in the way of uh, worldview as far as uh, religious worldview goes. My guess, that's just my guess. But he was such a deep, thoughtful soul. And he Mm -hmm. was so human. And this book is so human. And of course, Mm -hmm. Bourdain being Bourdain, he gets away with all the things that he ought not get away with. Um, yeah. It was compiled, um, you know, the postmortem. So it's, you know, he didn't sit down and pen this. It was, it was compiled from writings and show transcripts and these sorts of things. Um, but it is just a reminder of how truly human you can be with uh, your pen, you know, mm. when you're in your own writing process. And, um, I, you know, I've always said, in fact, I think I'm about to start a short film series for my Substack people, uh, cool. my subscribers about good writing. And one of the things that I think is important in really great writing is that it is firmly fixed in a place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think a lot about East of Eden, the opening of East of Eden. Like if you don't cry when you read the first two pages of East of Eden, you're not sure. Kidding. I right. mean, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. Um, and he has a way of setting things firmly in place. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does that with humans in a way that I'm not sure a lot of people are really able to do, especially in nonfiction. So I've really enjoyed it. I will say it is quite irreverent. The sure. subtitle definitely fits it. Um, but it really is bringing an awareness of my life about how to even be a better writer. So mm. I really, I really like it a lot. That's cool. I can't imagine anyone picking up a book by Bourdain and and assuming it would not be irreverent. <laughs> so, right. Right. yeah, that that fits well. And I've really appreciated, and I think a lot of people appreciate uh, from him how human he was and how honest he was. And that's maybe yeah. what drew us to him and his work. Um, not that it was classically beautiful, but it, that it was humanly beautiful. And he he yeah. said what most people think. Yeah. And he was also able in his life, you know, you, you watch any of his series and he was able to always say the truth about a culture, um, not shading around it while also being able to draw out the best parts of that culture. Mm -hmm. Um, and it is such a, an odd talent. I'm not sure that I've seen anyone else who could do it quite the same way that he could of, of no. just saying like, yeah. here are the things that are really screwed up about it. But underneath that is this really intense, deep layer of beautiful humanity. Yeah. Um, and he, he, there's flashes of that in this book. That's cool. Yeah. He was the master at that. And I think um, our two things here that are adding more beauty dovetail really well, because um, that's what I see this sweet, otherwise somewhat innocent kid, at least compared to Bourdain uh, doing, <laughs> is that it is showing us the realness of um, what's beautiful in the world. I think that's why we both love to travel and explore new places. And that's that to me is one of the most sacramental acts on earth is this idea of having yeah. meaningful conversations in meaningful places. And he did that well. Yeah. So good choice. Yeah. I like it. 
All right. Well, it is time to wrap this chat up. You can find this episode as well as all episodes at a drink with a friend.com. And I haven't asked this in forever, like I think a really long time. If you like what we are bringing to your day, would you help support the show and go leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts like Apple or whatnot? Um, the internet algorithm gods make it so that the better a show is reviewed, the more they show it to potential new listeners. So if you'd like us to keep doing what we're doing and you want us to grow, you can help it grow by leaving a quick review. Um, I would mm-hmm. say maybe a review if you like the show. If you don't really like the show, then you can just maybe skip on this uh, to-do item. Uh, we super appreciate it. So you can find me and all my work, especially my newsletter and books at tishoxenwriter.com. Seth, where can people find you? They can find me at sethhaines.com and I am going to put a plug this week. Uh, follow me at sethhaines.substack.com um, because the, the monthly subscribers, the people that uh, drop a little coin into mm-hmm. the Substack, um, will very soon uh, start to receive this this video series that I've talked about, about um, what I think makes for really good writing. Very cool. I can't wait to read it because I pay for your Substack as well. So... I will get it. Maybe uh-huh. I'll have you as a as a little uh, member. Like a, you can join in. We can have a video chat about it. There you go. I'm up for it. That'd be Come fun. Come on. All right. We'll do it. Okay. Uh, music for the show is by Kevin McLeod. Editing is by Kyle Oxenreiter. And Caroline Tassell is our transcriber and assistant extraordinaire. I'm Tish Oxenreiter. And Seth and I will be back here soon. Thanks for listening. <laughs>